0: Everybody, My name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. So, before we get into everything, I want to do the usual thanks to everybody who listened to the last episode on Demon Slayer, Kimetsu no Yaiba. I finally got the title of that right in the episode after the fact, of course. Go figure. But, um, I had a lot of fun thinking about that show and doing an episode about that show. Because, like I said in the previous episode, I think it's unique in the kind of pantheon of um shonen jump adaptations and actually watching that show and like puzzling through that show got me to read got me to start reading the manga. I'm actually reading it I wanna say well I had to stop so so here's here's gonna be my rant. I've got two rants, but they're gonna be I hope fairly quick, but with me who knows. Um <laughs> So I'm reading Demon Slayer on the Shonen Jump app which I pay for because I I have a problem. I have a problem. I I mean all of you are familiar with the problem, but I also have it. And so I pay for the Shonen Jump app and I'm reading through it and I had read the first chapter or so um or like a chapter vaguely just to, like, get the idea, and then I'm like, oh, this has an anime, let's jump into that. And then I dropped off the anime, came back to it, did the episode last time. But I wanted to know more about the story, partly because I wanted to talk about it in the podcast, but also because I'm genuinely interested in a shonen action show in which the character is not, like, the hot-blooded... ...protagonist seeking justice, in which the protagonist could really give a shit about, like, justice. He wants wants to treat all people fairly, and also he wants to cure his little sister of, like, vampirism, basically. (laughs) But... So I was reading through it, and I started, like, chapter 41, maybe? and 41... And I get to about, I think, chapter 60. And spoiler alert for um, Demon Slayer, I guess. They're, They're, like, on a train. They're fighting. I get to the end of that fight. And I'm about to, like, get whatever the next arc is. Whatever that, like, middle part is. Of which I've heard a bit about. And it just cuts off and, like, slots me into chapter 139. And I'm just, like, astounded because I don't... <laughs> Come on, guys! This was this was the promise of Shonen Jump, changing from a magazine format to a chapter-by-chapter format in which you just had access to all the chapters. And that is, you have access to all the chapters, all the time. As long as you're a subscriber, you have access to the chapters. The chapters are not there. They're just not. And it... It's really infuriating. Because... God damn it. But I'm, I'm like... I'm actually... Based on how the... Pacing of the anime is going... I am way farther along... Than the anime will get to. Because the anime just started like the recovery arc... I'm, like, a whole arc past that, but, um, so, that's that, and then I want to talk about something that is more than vaguely anime-related, but lots of people will be like, hey, that's not anime. I want to talk about the live-action adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender that Netflix is doing, and I want to talk about, um, Netflix as, like, an entity and what it is- what it is being forced to do by the by primarily Disney, but mostly just the way that streaming media is happening. So, for people listening to this, you probably have at the very least a Crunchyroll subscription. Um, you could have a Netflix subscription. You might turn it on and off. Who knows um you could also have a high diet subscription, a verve subscription, a funimation subscription, a um what's another one? um a v- Vicky subscription. There are lots of subscriptions that you need to like get your whole anime diet so to speak. And one of the things that is happening is that what used to be TV Channel Bundle have now broken apart. So, like, not in the not-too-distant future, just more distant than you think, probably, but not too distant, a cable channel like the Food Network will have its own app called, like, Food Now or whatever. And all of its program, and you'll be able to, for, like, a five ninety nine a month fee, you'll be able to watch everything Food Network has to offer. Um, this model was kind of popularized by Netflix, but kind of crystallized, crystallized really, by HBO. When HBO released HBO Go at first, it was like the world started spinning faster and we were all on a ride because all of a sudden... HBO was not attached to a cable for Rider. Like, you could go out and you could technically get... At, at first, it was. At first, it was just a, like, little half-step that, like, you can now... HBO has this app that you can now stream as long as you have a cable subscription that includes HBO. But then HBO released HBO Now. And with HBO Now, what HBO did was it became... capable of being completely independent of the cable... Of of the cable system, so to speak. But what that started is cable channels peeling off content, specific shows and content being peeled off by streaming networks, like um, a really famous example is um, we all know that Netflix paid north of a million dollars for Ava, but what some of you might not know, is that they paid at least a million, like, I think right on the money of a million dollars for Friends. And for those of you who are like, oh, that makes sense, yeah, it does. For those of you who don't remember, it was the 90s, there was no real internet, there was no streaming, we all watched the same shit. Friends was like, the finale of Friends had some of the highest concurrent viewer numbers literally ever. It it may not seem like Friends is a big show, but it actually is in its weird, its own weird way. And so, what's happening now is whole properties are being kind of bought back, left and right. So eventually, when Netflix launches its, when um Disney launches its streaming service. I think in, um... I forget when, but when Disney launches streaming service, it's going to take all of our money, it's going to take all of our money, it's going to give us eight Marvel movies on that service. There are, like, I think 23 Marvel movies. The reason why it can only give us eight in the beginning is because they need to negotiate the rights to buy back the other... However... I can't do the math, but however many there are. But going forward... Marvel movies will only be available on the Disney Plus service. So, what this means, what this really means, is that other streaming services need something else to offer. And in the case of Avatar The Last Airbender, I literally just checked. It's not available anywhere, which is curious <laughs> at best. Like, it's not available on Amazon, where it was for years. It's not available on Netflix, where it was for years. Um, those are the two big places it would kind of be. Uh, you can find, like, you can always find stuff, but that's not a great... That's <laughs> not a great look, basically. Um, and I, should, when I say available, I mean that it is available on... Amazon, but you have to buy it season by season, which sucks. But, um, so the reason why Netflix is doing what it's doing with the, Am- with the Avatar The Last Airbender is because it's the same reason why it's doing what it's doing with the show we're actually going to talk about today, and anime, and why it released that god awful fucking f- infuriating documentary, Enter the Anime and that is it needs to create IPs that it can own in every single kind of like niche across the universe and avatar the last airbender is a unique type of fandom people there are tons of pe- people who are fans of that and other things but people who are fans of avatar the last airbender are fans for very specific reasons that may apply to other things and may map over other things, but it is, it as a property has a really highly regard, really highly regarded reputation. Um, that's why when they their first attempt to make a live action Avatar just shit the bed so hard, because it's not just it's like, it's not something you can just make a love letter to. They tried to make M Night Shyamalan. Arguably didn't try to make a love letter, but he, like, wanted to basically make a love letter to this show, but he just couldn't get there. And it's one thing to make a love letter, but it's another thing to make a love letter something that is truly beloved. And he couldn't pull it off. And we're going to be talking about a director and a show that is a love letter to a very specific thing having to do with animation and also anime and blah, but we'll get there. So, what Netflix wants to do with this live action thing is it knows there's a f- failed live action movie, and that sets the low bar for them. So, as long as they can hop over that bad, that horrible low bar, it'll be better, which is interesting. But they also want to have a thing that says Avatar the Last Airbender. On their service. Because that will give people who go to their service looking for that something to watch. Aside from Dragon Prince, which is produced by the same team. But it uses 3G CG animation, which... uh, Nah. But... So, that's really... I, I just found it interesting that that is what Netflix... That's how Netflix is thinking. And... And it seemed clear to me that that's the way they're thinking. They're thinking, we need something in this IP or intellectual property. I'm sorry, I should explain those terms. Um, because people will come to our service looking for it, and we want it to be there in some form. What? And that's really the reason why they made that documentary, and other podcasts have mentioned this, other um, mother basement did a really great video on the enter the on the thing that enter, ma- enter the anime is. But if you want to hear a really succinct, like based in recent not recent history because I mean I'm old now and I was around when these ads were happening. If you want to hear a really succinct based in recent history of like advertising of anime in the West, like thought processes. I'd highly recommend you go listen to the most recent episode of, um, Anime World Order. If you're not already listening to Anime World Order, you're already missing out on stuff, but go listen to that. They talk about the, uh, Gerald Rascal, whose name I know I'm not pronouncing right, I'm sorry Gerald, um, talks about what that thing is doing, and why it's so heinous. And the, but basically, long short of it, is enter the anime is trying to shift the window on what you can call on what anime is. So Netflix can just release something like Castlevania and call it anime. Or Netflix can release something done in an anime style that was, but was animated in Texas and doesn't really have that kind of, like, Japanese production soul, in, and call it anime. And the reason for that is, is because lots of people, they hear anime now, and that it's dis- distinct from cartoons. And it is much easier to, to market anime towards audiences than it is to market cartoons towards audiences. Now, the, the technically, anime is cartoons, but from Japan. But what muddying the water there does is it makes it harder for you to have a conversation in real life and say, like, hey, so let's say I, I'm in, like, three years. Netflix has achieved their goal of moving the window. And I'm at a panel, and I go like, what's everybody's favorite anime? And I just point at somebody, and they go, Shira. "Master of the... U- Sh- Shira. Shira is an anime. But if Netflix had its way, it would be able to market it like it. Shira has a lot of anime inspiration in it. And draws a lot from that... From the mold anime kind of sets. But it's not. And the creators of it know it's not, but Netflix, but it would benefit Netflix financially, and I hate to sound like a crazy person, to convince you that it is. Because if they can convince you that what they're showing you is anime, then they can keep pumping you full of stuff. And I just think that it's really important to take all that in, into consideration when you see them say, like, Oh, we're making live action Cowboy Bebop. Oh, we're making live action Avatar. What does that mean? That means when you go onto Netflix... And you search Cowboy Bebop in like three years... Or whenever the fuck it decides to come out... <laughs> they... Get the hit. Like, you, you, you get a hit and you're like... Oh, Cowboy Bebop. It's the live, live action? Click. And then you watch something on Netflix. As they do a good enough job... You keep watching it. Or you click on the live-action avatar for the same reason. And for the same reason, they have some retention because they have the raw titles that you're looking for, which is important in the way the streaming landscape is going. Now, that said, we are talking about Netflix show about a Netflix show this episode. And that show is Carol and Tuesday.
1: It's hard to be a normal person, that's just not me. In my dreams, miracles Mm -hmm. beautiful.
0: So, um, I forget when the actual original teaser dropped for Carolyn Tuesday, but it was, I want to say, at least a year ago. It may have even been in, like, 2006? I think it was in 2016, because I think it was before the Orange Balloon Man was president. Um, but, so... Before, I, I don't usually go into directors and animation and all that stuff, unless I think it's necessary, but I definitely think it's necessary here, because this show is a show that is directed by and conceived of by um, a Soshiro Watanabe, and Soshiro Watanabe is, of course, the director of Cowboy Bebop. He's also the director of Terror Resonance, And, interestingly enough, a show called Kids on the Slope. Now, Terran Resonance, I've done an episode on it in this podcast feed. You can go find it. It's a weird show, but it's a super left-leaning show that's really interested in, like, picking apart the right wing of Japanese society in a way that's like, the man was driven by something. (laughs) And that's probably why it came off as odd. But the show I really want to call attention to is Kids on the Slope. And so, in addition to just talking about... Um, in addition to just talking about Soshio sure, Wanabe, well, I want to talk to a little bit about the con- the like process of animation. Um, So those of you who don't know one of the most one of the most important parts of anything you're watching anything you any any kind of entertainment you consume is the sound if you're listening to a podcast and it sounds bad your first inclination is to turn it off i my very first review for this podcast on iTunes which you can go and you can rate me five stars, I think that would be great. But my very first review said, I really love this show. He's really, he he has a lot to say about anime and I really like it. I just wish it sounded better. And lots of you might think, like, well, I'm not an audiophile, I don't care that much. But when a Skype call goes bad on a podcast, you're more likely to pause it or turn it off or fast forward through it. You're more likely not to listen to it because it's not as pleasing. I I when I remember, god damn it, I put a filter on my voice to make it less shall we say pedestrian more like radio voicey. Um but uh, what I'm trying to say here is that if you if you're watching something with bad sound, you notice it. Um, the best example of this is actually the original Godzilla with the like bad English dub where their mouths are moving nine million miles a minute, and like someone just it's just like taking their sweet time, not matching the lip flaps, all this stuff. And in American animation, the Sound is oftentimes, uh, when, like, when, like, it's a key piece of animation, the animation is done to the soundtrack. So, like, an opening or an ending of a show is lots of times done to a soundtrack. uh, Overdubbing is still the way overdubbing is, but there's much more attention paid to, like, lip flaps, amount of time when someone writes, when someone writes a script, they write it specifically to the lip flaps. This happens in anime dubbing as well. And many of those, and many anime dub actors work in other fields like video games and, um... American animation as well. Uh, like, I think Steve Bloom was the canonical voice of Wolverine for years. Um... But, in Japanese animation, oftentimes they don't... It, it's not a sticking point. But, the fact still remains that animation... That one of the key components of animation is sound. So, I'll give you a great example. I'm, I've started watching Copcraft mostly because I like the character designer of that show. He's the same character designer of... Um, He's the same character designer who did designs for Blue Sub-6, and he's got, like, a flair that I've always liked since I was, like, a kid. So, I, I'm... Also, like, I could take a good sci-fi, like, fantasy sci-fi cop show I'm with, like, an edge. I'll do that. That's fine. But, um... There's a scene where where Kei Masaba, the, like, detective character, is shooting a gun, and it Sounds like someone taking a broom and slamming the end of the handle into like a freaking concrete floor in an empty gymnasium. It it, it doesn't it doesn't sound like a gunshot. And uh, if you've ever I did an episode a while back on Shirobako, but if you've ever seen Shirobako, you know that like. Oftentimes, because of the compressed scale of, um, of anime, because of the compressed time factor for anime production, BFXRs are, like, their own thing, and they're, like, in their own crazy little room, and they have ways of mimicking sounds. And that's true for any animation, but, um, they show the way they do it really, like, quickly, and simply in Shirobako really well. Um, but that's the that's one of the actually the most egregious examples I thought of. I'm sure you can think of a lot, but uh Sh Shirowananabe so is really interested in music. And that comes through in like his like Claim to Fame, which is Cowboy Bebop, the entire show is scored with this amazing Yoko Kano jazz soundtrack. And he later on, he did the same thing in Kids on the Slope, which I don't think I've talked about yet, but I will probably talk about in the future. But that's basically like an improvisational jazz-like soundtrack. But that that soundtrack actually... Links up with the story, whereas the jazz soundtrack is kind of the like kind of sets the mood in cowboy bebop however, Carolyn Tuesday is different, and the reason that's different is because every time he dealt with jazz every time he dealt with music it, it, in a way that's that it's noticed in. Anime before it had been like jazz or something like that, so you would think that like he's really liked jazz. Well, I'm starting to think that Wanabe really likes all music, which, as a appreciator of music, I can appre- I can, I can relate to it, because Carol and Tuesday is about two, about two girls, um, teenage girls who named Carol. uh, a black girl who lives alone, who lives by herself in a, like, loft apartment she rents from an old Chinese dude on Mars. uh, In, like, in future Mars where it's, like, a city and she lives in, like, the Mars equivalent of Brooklyn. Of, like, run-down, fucked-up Brooklyn. And Tuesday, who is this super-duper rich girl whose mother is, like, the biggest bitch, and also running for president. We don't know what president of what, but, like, I want to think it's, like, Richard Nixon from Futurama situation. Like, she's going to be president of the universe somehow. Um, but... Basically... Tuesday runs away because she wants to pursue being a magician, and... For as, like, kind of cutesy as she is and pampered as she is, you find out throughout the story that she was kind of the fuck-up. She never really bothered to go to school, never really wanted to go to school. All she really cared about was music. And she has a very nice acoustic Gibson guitar that she, like, runs around with her, carries around with her and never lets go of. Sh- her Because she is naive enough to not pay attention to her bag in the city, someone steals her like automated robot luggage bag, which is hilarious. But um so ultimately she's walking around now she's lost her bag and she and Carol's, she she encounters Carol huh, on a bridge just playing the piano and like humming a melody. It just like breaks down crying in front of her and from there their journey kind of starts and they meet a bunch of characters um one being a um wa- a washed up drummer from a like punk rock band who used to be a talent scout for like music and has since just become washed up and the so, but so this is the really interesting thing about this is um Anime creators have a really big challenge and that is they have to, they have to choose whether or not they want to make something that's relevant to the universe we live in or something that uh, takes bits and pieces of the universe we live in and kind of ignores the rest. But what Wanabe does with Carol and Tuesday is he takes the whole of the universe we live in and he kind of pushes it forward. Like in a way that makes sense. So, if you want the biggest treat in your life, I implore you, I really, I beg of you to go to Instagram and follow Carol underscore Tuesday on Instagram, I think it is, because they have a real functioning Instagram account that updates all the time. That is just the best. There's no reason they need to have this thing. It just exists. And the reason for that is is Instagram and social media, specifically Instagram and YouTube, play a important story are important are important plot devices in the story. And that's because Carolyn Tuesday uh, eventually they start they basically immediately, like, start writing songs, they move in together, they... And then they're like, and... Carol's like, I'd really rather play this this song on a better piano because she has this, like, folding electric piano that she can, like, take with her places. And so they, like, pull some, like, city cute girl chicanery and they get into a concert hall where they do this gorilla performance that this um, character, Rhodey, who is a... What, so, what you come to find out about Carol and Tuesday is that it is not normal for musicians to perform completely original songs. It's not normal for musicians to write their own music it's not that there's songwriters. It's that there are... Th- the thing that has become prolific in the future that is Carol and Tuesday is artificial intelligence. It's artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence basically scans popular music of the past, including whatever just came out, I guess, and composes music based on that, according to what the singers, like preferences are, or whatever. And Carol and Tuesday are some of the only people in the sh- uh, the only two in the show that you see who perform without the assistance of artificial intelligence. There is an artificial intelligence who you meet in the show who's an asshole, and it's hilarious. But, their songs are, they they sound like songs you've heard before, but that's on unperpo- But they sound like songs that we've heard before, in our universe, and they sound kind of like folksy, fun, like Sheryl Crow, um, ish songs, and they're just kind of fun to listen to. I have all three single sets on my Apple Music account. Cause you can, you can also you can go get all the all the like popular songs of all the songs they sing in the show is pretty good. Um, and they're they're all pretty good, and Toshiro Watanabe went out and got, like, an R&B... like, a poppy R&B duo to sing these songs so they have an authenticity. They don't feel like they're just, like, anime music, if that makes any sense. Um... It's similar to the way that, um, they went out and got a band to play all the music in Beck. But they're, the thing about Beck is Beck is about the music industry. It's not necessarily about the music, if that makes any sense. That's why the manga for Beck works so well. Um, you can listen to an episode about Beck in the podcast feed. Um, but what what this show does is it shows you both sides of the coin because it also follows this former childhood star now current supermodel named Angela. And Angela w- wants more than anything to be a music to to be a singer. And so, ultimately, what Angela does is her, um... And I thought this was really interesting. I don't... I'm not sure about the representation here. I, actually, I am sure about the representation here. Um, Angela's mother is actually a, her transgender father, who is abusive. And it's, like, the transgender thing is not played for laughs, it's not meant to be a negative light. You're meant to understand that this person was always abusive. It didn't matter what gender they were. They were just always abusive. And so Angela wants to be, more than anything, to be a singer. And so her mother, I forget her mother's name, takes her to this AI specialist, and he says, we'll make you into a singer. And you start to see the path of what a sing what an a i back singer is like the a i guy like analyzes her voice nine ways to sunday basically threatens to torture her to get a high to get a high falsetto note out of her um and the a i composes songs that will fit her. Not only her, like, celebrity image, but also, like, will make the audience feel something, basically. And so at this point, what kind of happens is you are starting to see the kind of branching paths of ways to stardom. And also, I should mention, there is... There's no way he can't be a, like, Masamune... Uh, uh, Watanabe's, like, take on this-is-what-I-think-of-DJ-culture and why they suck, because... And and, wh- and why they can suck, not why they suck, because I'm sure he likes some of that music. But you meet this character named DJ Erdogan, and, er- and Erdogan first is, like, this kind of, like, joke where he just, like, stares at the camera with with sultry eyes and goes, Fire! And then just, like, Vuvuzela's player in the background and music starts. But, uh, Carolyn Tuesday, through Rhody, who is actually um, Erdogan, DJ Erdogan's, like, AI operator, um, and also the person who recorded the video of Car- the gorilla performance of Carol and Tuesday. But at the, at the point when which they meet Ergon, they've also... They have Gus, who, who is, like, their manager. And, he's, and he is honestly trying... And he is, like, a re- basically an alcoholic in immediate recovery as soon as he finds them. Which is also a thing. Um... But he has all the connections all of the music industry, and he says, hey, Rody, do you know somebody who could listen to her who could look at their music? And they go and they meet Erdogan, and Erdogan first thinks they're fans, and then he thinks... And then once they're like, hey, we want you to take a look at our music, he basically sits down and, like, the facade drops. The, like, Celebrity DJ Facade totally disappears, and he says to them, Look, I'm not doing this because I love music. I mean, I listen to music, sure, but, I, you know, I don't really care what the songs sound like. This is a business. I've invested in the best AIs money can buy so I can make money. The fame, the cars, all this stuff is an extension of the business, basically. Like, he, he basically, <laughs> this is so funny because I heard Austin Walker, like, um, talk about Jay-Z and their, and Jay-Z's NFL deal, which is fucked up, um, on Waypoint recently. But he gives the Jay-Z line, like, I'm not a businessman, I'm a Business, man. And Tuesday's reaction to that is like, well, fuck you. And she, like, uses a cigarette lighter like light to, like, print out some fire and throw them everywhere. And they run off and, like, laugh at him. But he's an example of what it looks like for AIs to, like, just run your shit. And if you have enough money, you can just keep buying better and better AIs. And your music improves, but what you ultimately see is that some talent is still necessary to guide everything. And in Carolyn Tuesday's case, since they are, so they they ultimately hook up with this talent show called Mars Brightest, and Mars Brightest is straight up American Idol on Mars, complete with. And I, shit you not, bargain basement creeper uncle, Ryan Seacrest. I don't know if that guy's actual name. It's not important. But he's like this, is like, like slightly overweight fucking weirdo who hosts that show. And throughout that show, you see that people who are using AI to, like, write compose their songs and even, in some cases, help them sing their songs are genuinely talented. And you meet this you meet a YouTube you meet a someone who's meant to be a YouTube influencer and everybody's like stunned when he is not just like kind of like like kind of good, but he is genuinely talented and he's a genuinely good singer and truly interested in it. And I so I think that if I had to guess, I would say that um, Sochi Watanabe's like point in the show is that like, talent and greatness can come from all of these things, all of these like things that could be terrible, could be awful, could be great, but it needs to be authentic. So the thing with the thing that you see from Pyotr, who is like, who's a social media guy, the entire time is he's like this, like, very fake, very like, feigning for the camera, always has a camera, constantly filming with his phone. Is when you see him sing, he like completely shifts into like a Justin Timberlake like singer. And you're just like, oh, and the and the judges on Mark Brightest also are also like, oh, this is, this is like he's for real. We we didn't know he was for real. Okay, you do your thing, man. And as a result of that, the rival between Angela, who is like set up in the show to win to to win Mars Brightest and Carol in Tuesday feels real because Angela isn't just this, like, rival character. Um, She's given dimension and thought into, like, what she does, and the person who's her AI, like, specialist actually changes her song as a result to make sure that she does win Mars Brightest. And, but the thing with Carolyn Tuesday, and the judges keep coming back to this, is they are the only ones competing who are not using AI. Their music is, quote-unquote, real. And in, like, uh like, surprise at the end of the show, they... they, um... What's it called? They, the, Angela wins the competition but both Angela and Carol and Tuesday get music contracts, which is, like, the prize. Because Carol and Tuesday are so unique, and their music it is good. And that's the important thing about writing a show about music, is that the music has to be good. And the music in a show like Beck is, is good. The music in Carolyn Tuesday is good, and to, like, demonstrate that, you can look at a show like, um, Empire, and if you haven't watched Empire, it's a show about a black, about a black music dynasty, dynastic family and company. But the thing about Empire, and the thing that, like, hooked people onto it in the first season, and from what I understand, it, kind of got away from, is like, every, at least once an episode, there'd be this big, awesome musical piece where, it and the music was composed for the show and composed to, like, a point but that music is pretty good, and like I found myself listening to it by choice, and they went out and they got actual artists to play the character, Jesse Smollett with notwithstanding, you know, those musicians took the opportunity to act in a show that would allow them to perform. And in Carol and Tuesday, even the AI-made music sounds like the real deal. They have, um, they, in in early, in, like, Midway through the show, they go to this big music festival, and they encounter this character who's just like hanging out in, in his tra- in his trailer behind the stage at the music festival. He's got all his like he's got his like he's got his squad so to speak, and he's this big black guy in like a orange jumpsuit, which like which Soshiro Wanabe knows it's just screaming, Big black guy prisoner, watch out. And Carolyn Tuesday, like, duck in to, like, hide from DJ Erdogan because they, like, really, they they just really don't want to fucking deal with him. They clearly did him dirty and he is, like, scarred in a way that, like, he would wreck their careers if given the shot at that point in the show. He ultimately doesn't kind of get the chance to, or either kind of doesn't get the chance to, or doesn't do it. I want to think that he just doesn't do it. But um, basically, they the so they duck into a random trail to hide from, and they see this big black guy. And this big black guy is like menacing, and he's like stops and he says to them, he's like, "Remember." Where you started, so many people forget. And then he goes outside, he goes he goes out of a trail on onto the stage, and he like destroys Santana style on the guitar. It's amazing. And then they um they meet their like musical idol. I forget her name, but she is like an R&B star, um in the vein of, like, um, Christina Aguilera slash Little Kim? And so there's all these references in here, and it... Watching the show feels, on some level, the way that reading the Beck manga does, because it's not so true in the show for Beck, but in the manga for Beck, it's really clear that that... That, that, um, the author is, like, making one-to-one variations of real musicians. <laughs> like, the, um, Kiyosuke is clearly, like, a, um, the, Kiyosuke's friend is clearly a Kurt Cobain Nirvana stand-in. <laughs> but, um, the... So, the other thing that this gets right, that Carolyn Tuesday gets right, is it gets right the, like, music industry climate and the climate of now and the way that everything kind of, like, meshes in together. Like, just because Gus is washed up doesn't mean he doesn't have connections. And he actually goes to one of his connections from back in the day, and he, like, was like, hey, man, can you cut these girls a break? I think they've really got something. And the other guy's like, you know, if you'd come to me, like, ten years ago, I would have said yes, but, like, I have a company to watch out for. I have a board of directors that is really want to fire me. So, you know, nah. And the whole just the way everything's connected, and everybody kind of knows everybody else, and there's, like, an A to B to C of the music industry that existed before Carol and Tuesday, and now Carol and Tuesday are kind of being brought up through, which is really well done. And if, if you like music, and you like, like, stories about the music industry, and you haven't watched Carol and Tuesday... I would super recommend you do because it, it it's full of that kind of life in a way that doesn't it doesn't happen so often. I would say the last time it really happened was actually Beck, Mongolian Chop Squad. Um, but it's, it's super worth a watch. If for no other reason than it's directed by somebody who clearly really loves music and music culture, and if you want more proof of that, you can go watch Kids on the Slope. I think it's still available on... I know it's still available... I'm almost positive it's available on Crunchyroll. Um, but that's a really fascinating look at improvisational jazz, at, like, teenagers who form an improvisational jazz group in a really... Like ambiguous time period, I want to (laughs) say. Um, but it's, it's, uh, he, so Shirawa clearly, like, deeply cares about music and, like, the stories that surround music in a way that I, um, in a way that I can only really say at least that I've seen proof of, that, um, the uh, I forget the author's name, um, that the author of Beck does because Beck, author, like, all of the eye catches for the Beck manga are like actual renditions with the characters of famous album covers from across rock history a lot of which happen to be Red Hot Chili Peppers, like, covers. Like, um, ins, but he's really the only other, like, creator who I've, like, seen who, like, they clearly, like, love music. Um, another show I don't think I've talked about here because I haven't sat all the way through it yet, which, shame on me, is um chance pop sensation I think it's called. That's an old, old, old show from when I was in like high school. <laughs> um, and I was getting uh new type magazines and new type was still published in English. But that's a show about like a group of girls forming a pop trio and going up through the ranks of the world of, like, super corporate music. <laughs> and, uh, just, I, I've always liked, I've always liked music, and I've always liked stories about musicians, so this was a super easy uh, thing for me, especially since I had seen Kids on the Slope, loved it, and, of course, I love Souchiro and I love that he, I, like, I like the things that he chooses to make, Stuff about and i would I would super encourage you to go watch this um I will say something about the way they did the animation made the frame rate drop through the floor for me on Netflix or the resolution drop through the floor for me on Netflix a lot, but it was still totally watchable and super enjoyable, so definitely go give it a look, and I'm gonna have a ton of fun putting an opening and ending on this, because there's so many songs to choose from. Um, but that said, if you like this episode, you can definitely go subscribe in your podcast market of choice. Um, you can also rate me. I would love it if you gave me a five-star rating. It really helps the show. It helps other people hear it. Um, you could also share it with friends, say, hey, this guy talks about anime. I know you like anime or maybe you, your friend is interested in anime. He talks about it in a way that you may not have heard before. Maybe check him out. Here's the podcast. Um, but until next episode, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And I'll talk to you next time.